Man, we're doing a series on community, and uh, boy, did you set me up well. I kind of feel like I don't even need to preach after that. Uh, apparently, I'm not the only one. Might be good, too, since uh, some of you know I haven't been giving much sleep this week. Uh, we have a little one at home, and uh, about 30 minutes before church, uh, Elizabeth texted me and said, would you please hurry home when you're done, because it was a rough night. So maybe I should just not preach. You know, it's a moral dilemma, uh, but I will, um, but thank you, Steve and, and Heather, we're going to miss you guys, and uh, wonderful to see the body of Christ uh, be the body of Christ and be a family to one another, so thank you, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us this morning. Um, I've been told that a sermon's effectiveness is best with a good introduction and a good conclusion and to have those things, those two things as close together as possible. Um, and I'm not going to promise that I'm going to do that this morning, but I surely thought of that last week, because I'll just be honest, I'll just be vulnerable with you. If you were here last week, uh, it was a rough Sunday for me. Okay, I'll just be honest. We had a family service, and I'm a big proponent of family service. You're going to hear that as part of the message this morning, of, of having all ages together and having our kids witness how we worship and having them see grandparents that love Jesus and sing out to Jesus. But as a preacher, <laughs> it's tough because there's lots of wiggling out there, and I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about you, too, uh, wrangling your kids. And I'll be honest, about 10 minutes into the message last week, there was this strong voice in my head that just said, what were you thinking trying to get across this much information on a family worship service? And so I kind of kicked myself um, and, uh, all, all afternoon, but here was the win, okay? And I know that those family services, sometimes they're tough for you mom and dads. I, I get that. They're tough for me up here watching uh, some of the chaos. But here's the win, okay? Because last Sunday afternoon, I was kind of beating myself up. I, oh, it went way too long, had too much. Uh, but Sunday afternoon, as we're driving around as a family in the car, we're running some errands, uh, from the back seat, I hear my little five-year-old singing, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me, your love And we don't play that song at home. She heard that in here. That was one of the songs we sang last week, and I thought, you know what? That's a win. That's a win because if, if our kids can be in here and they can sing with us and they can see older generations loving Jesus and singing and, and maybe they won't listen uh, to their daddy preach, <laughs> maybe they won't listen to their teachers this morning, but if you get a song in their head or you help them memorize a verse that years from now the Holy Spirit brings to their mind to remind them of truth that was planted at a young age, it's awesome. So uh, regardless of, of, of my guilt about last week or what you may have, have thought about last week, um, when those family services come around, man, join us. And, and not just even if you have little ones, but, but older folks as well. Be a part of the family as we worship uh, together. That made me think a little bit this week about our topic and community and, and, and Campbell remembering that song and, and singing that song about just how powerful songs are. And related to our message and our, our series theme for these four weeks, I thought about some of the powerful songs that I remember throughout my life that kind of have this theme of community about them. So I thought, you know, a fun uh, introduction this morning might be to play some songs for you, 
songs that I think will be familiar to many of you. So we're going to kind of just briefly play a little uh, name that tune game, okay? And I'm going to just go section by section, and the way this is going to work is I'm going to start over here and just first person, the moment you recognize the song and can tell me the song title, okay, just raise your hand as soon as you recognize this song, okay? So we'll start uh, over here, all right? Ready? Go. Jody Bartek was first, I think. Do you know it? You can sing along if you want. Now, if you're under 20, you have no idea what the other cultists in the room are singing. But what a great show. Cheers, right? Norm, Sam. Who else? What's the, the first bartender's? Now, Sam, Sam, Woody. What was the bartender before Woody? Coach, yeah, Coach, thank you. We've got some older people over here that remember that song. <laughs> Cheers, what a, what a great show. Okay, section number two right here. You guys, you guys get a chance the next one. First hand up, okay? We got free coffee for the winner. Thank you for being a friend. Golden Girls right down here from the young 20-something, Natalie English. How many of you, men, you can admit it to, how many of you love the Golden Girls? You're a pal and a confidant. Don't be ashamed. I confess that when we go to my mother-in-law's house, she has satellite TV and she has one station and all morning it's like Golden Girls, one after another. And uh, my wife and, and I both, we love uh, Golden Girls. But they're, they're this community of retired women, I mean, Betty White is cool today, be largely because of the Golden Girls, right? Okay, so uh, moving over here, this one shouldn't take very long, but third section, first hand, okay? Right there, Heather Patton gets the win. You can clap if you want to on this one, okay? Friends, okay, this is if you're a child of the 90s, grew up in the 90s, friends, and again, around the apartment, not around the bar, but around the, the apartment, we still watch reruns. Uh, of this before we go to bed. Don't judge me. Okay. The, and the fourth one might be a little harder because the audience over here, we'll, we'll just see uh, if you can get this newer one. Yes. Rebecca right down, the only hipster in the section there. Community. This is Chevy Chase's comeback, his swan song. Community is about a college, a junior college community. And again, I'm not uh, in any way on behalf of the church or as a pastor endorsing any of uh, these TV shows. But yeah, community, all these, all these shows and all these songs, whether it's Cheers, you want to go where somebody knows your name or you want to have those tight friends in your 20s that you all run around with and, and uh, a community that you're, you're a part of in college. All of these songs and all of these shows speak to, in some sense, what we're talking about in these four weeks in these four weeks, the idea of community. See, community is, is not just a, a good theme for a sitcom, but community is actually a God-ordained, a God-designed need that we have as humans to connect deeply, to relate with one another, to have relational intimacy. It's not just an uh, idea for a, a sitcom, but it's a God-given design and need for all of us as humans. 
to feel, to feel a part of something, to be connected to one another, to have that place where we can let our guard down, have people that know us deeply and we know them deeply and that we share life together. That is actually the way God designed us to be connected to one another. In fact, even in the garden when all of life was perfect, one of the first uh, things that God speaks about creation that says is not good is that Adam was alone. Genesis 2.18 the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Adam had this perfect environment. He had this perfect creation. He was at peace with the animals. He had this perfect quiet time in relationship with God. But then God pronounces this thing that's not good. And it's not good that Adam should be alone. He needed a helper. He needed an equal. He needed the community of other humans. And that is a God-designed, a God-ordained, a God-given need. As humans, unlike anything else in God's creation, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that we were created in the image of God. It says, God said, let us make, it, make man in our image. And notice the plurals there, the plural pronouns. What, why is God speaking in the plural? Well, we believe that this is a hint here from the very beginning of the Bible of, of God as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Spirit, and that God as one God still exists in community, exists in relationships. He is communal by his very nature. So he says, as he creates man, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And if we're truly image bearers of God, what that means is if we bear God's image, we also bear this image of being relational creatures, if God is relational, if God is communal in himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're created in his image, it just makes sense that we also have not just this nicety about relationships and friendships, but we have this deep image-bearing need and necessity for community with other people. It is God-given. And so for these four weeks, we are, we are looking as, as a church at one of our key strategies, our, our vision statement, our mission statement as a church is to see lives centered on Jesus Christ. And we have four primary strategies that we think that happens. And one of them is the first one here, genuine community. We center lives on Jesus Christ through genuine community. And our community is centered upon Christ. Our community is not centered uh, upon sharing a beer together at the bar like cheers. Our, our uh, community is not centered upon being retired people. Our, com our community is not centered upon where we go to school, but our community is centered upon Jesus Christ and want on our lives to be focused and centered on him. But this idea of sharing life and needing community is the way God has actually wired us. And it's one of the things that I want to be, I want to be so uh, important and such the DNA of our church that we have genuine community with one another. Yes, as I said last week, that it'll have to be at various levels and we can't not all know uh, each other equally, that Jesus himself had the crowds and he had the 70 and then he had the 12, but even within the 12, he had kind of an inner circle of three, but he had community with his disciples. He has community within the Godhead and he, he expects us and we need community with other people. So for four weeks through Labor Day, we are looking at this idea of genuine community, what it looks like 
to live as a community of believers centering our lives on Jesus, okay? Next week in our series, we're going to look at what it looks like to share a meal. That's our message next week. And the week after that, what it looks like together as a community to share our faith individually and as a community. And today, I want us to look at what it looks like to be a diverse community, to share our differences, to share in diversity. And to do that, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 3. So Mark chapter 3, if you have a Bible, please join me. There's some Bibles in front of you, or you can also use our church app. has the Bible within that app, and there's also a sermon section there uh, where, where you'll find our outline and uh, be able to take notes if you like on the app. So Mark chapter 3, did I say Mark chapter 13? Mark 3.13 is what I meant, if I said that wrong. Mark 3.13, and we'll read all the way uh, through verse 19. We'll kind of take it sentence by sentence here. Um, Here's what we're going to see. Okay, two points, just two points today, but they're big points. Uh, Point number one, we're going to see the diverse purposes of God's community. And secondly, we're going to see the diverse people of God's community, okay? Okay. Purposes and people, the diverse purposes of God's community and the diverse people of God's community. First of all, the diverse purposes of God's community. Look with me, uh, beginning at verse 12, or verse 13, excuse me. Mark 3, 13, it says, he went up on a mountainside, and this is Jesus, okay? Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. Well, let's just stop right there. Jesus is the beginning of his ministry is uh, up on a mountainside and this a parallel passage for this is in Luke chapter 6 and in Luke we're told that Jesus actually prays all night about who he's going to call to himself about who these 12 are going to be so he's up on a mountainside he prays all night and he calls to him those whom he desired isn't that interesting language that he desired these disciples to follow him and that we can expand that even to us. If, if you have believed in Jesus, it is because Jesus has desired to have you as his follower, in fact. He's up, he's prayed, he calls to him those whom he desired and they obeyed. They came to him up on the mountain. Now, if we were to stop right there at verse 13, you might think that the experience of living the Christian life is just kind of about, about you and Jesus, Jesus calls you to himself and you go to him and you have this personal relationship with Jesus. And that's true, but that's not all. Because we're going to see as the passage goes on, there's more to it than just me and Jesus. There's actually me and Jesus and reaching other people. And there's actually the people that are going to reach other people with me. There's the community, okay? But if you just read verse 13, you're thinking, hey, this is me and Jesus. And there's a personal aspect. There's a personal purpose in God's community and following Jesus, but we move on. In verse 14 and 15, really, we see this expand. Uh, Verse 14 says, He appointed 12, whom he also named as apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. What do you notice about that, first of all? First of all, you notice that that he appointed 12. And if you're a Jewish person in the first century, by just the very nature of there being 12, this is supposed to remind you that Jesus is continuing something and and changing something, in fact, related to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes, and now Jesus is this new rabbi, new teacher, calls 12 disciples to follow him. He's building upon the Old Testament, but he's changing it. He appointed 12, and then in parentheses, whom he also named apostles. The word apostles really just means literally sent ones. 
They were called to be with him, but they were called apostles because he was going to send them out. We'll talk more about that in a second. He also named them apostles. And then why did he call them? Look at the end of verse 14. He says, so that, there's the purpose clause. Why two purposes? So that they might be with him. Again, there's that personal part of following Jesus. But secondly, second purpose, and he might send them out to preach. That's the aspect of them being called apostles. They're sent ones. So Jesus prays about who are going to be his 12. He calls them personally to himself. And he calls them for two purposes, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. There's at least two purposes here. There's the personal Or you might say this is the discipleship to be with him or to learn of him or to worship him. That's the first part, be with him. But there's also this mission part, this mission purpose that God gives his disciples. Not only that they might be with him, but he might send them out to preach. Next slide, look how this goes. The first part, being with him, this is about our discipleship. And actually to be called a disciple in the first century and even before the first century is just to say that you were a student. It really just means that you're a pupil, that you are a learner of the rabbi. And that's this idea of being with Jesus, that we're students of Jesus, that we're spending time with him. This is our worship purpose or our learning purpose, a building an intimacy, being with Jesus. And it reminds us of the great commandment where Jesus said that the greatest commandment, the greatest thing that you can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does that happen? In part, by being with him, by learning of him, by, through worship. And the second purpose there, that he might send them out to preach, that again, as I already said, is the missional aspect. The other purpose of, of, of coming to Jesus is not just our intimacy with Jesus, but our impact for Jesus. That he called these guys, yes, to know him. But it didn't end with knowing him. It didn't end with worshiping him. It, it, it also is about being sent out so that others might know him, so that others might worship him. And this reminds us of the great commandment, the second part of it. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. So God calls us to be with him. God calls us to be sent out as ministers and missionaries, but there's another subtle purpose here, implicit purpose in this passage that we'll read about in verses 16 through 19. And that's the third purpose is that we do all these things in community in community. We're going to see the community that he builds and the uniqueness of these disciples in verses 16 through 19. But this reminds us of the passage that we looked at last week in John chapter 13, where Jesus said, how will the world know that you're my disciples? Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And he, in that context, he wasn't just talking about loving the world. He was talking about literally loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, loving fellow believers, loving one another who are a part of the community. And so we come together in worship personally, but we also come together in worship and we're a part of a church family in community. That's the way that it was for the first 12. That's the way it should be for us personally communally, but we also are sent out of here today. When we dismiss this morning, we are sent out as ministers and missionaries, as apostles in a sense, in a secondary sense, but as apostles sent out to share our worship of Jesus, to share our intimacy and our love for Jesus with the world. We do both of those in community as well 
as personally. Now, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, if Jesus really is who he says he is, then everything about Jesus should affect everything about us. It should change our community, our friendships. It should change our relationship to the church. It should change our intimacy with Jesus. And it should change the passion and the motivation and the purpose for which we go out of here this morning as sent disciples. If Jesus is who he says he is and we are his disciples, it changes our community, it changes our relationship to Jesus, and it changes our purpose on Monday morning as we start a new school year. That we can't go out of here just as 10th graders or just as sophomores or just as 5th graders or just as teachers in an ISD that we go out of here sent as ministers and missionaries to share the message of Jesus. Now, as I say these three things, intimacy, impact, and also community, we all, uh, what I found in my own heart and in, in working with others is that we all have our personal preferences and affinities when it comes to these three, don't we? Some of, us, some of us are more kind of the worshipful type. This is the purpose about Jesus that we really, we really love to learn. We really love to open up the Bible. We love to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and worship him. Some of us have that affinity. That's, that's where we're comfortable. Others of us, not so much the personal relationship with Jesus or, or worship, but maybe your thing is really loving others and you're, and you're all about getting out there and preaching the word. Or in the passage, it says that he gave the apostles, he sent them out to, uh, to preach the good news and he gave them authority to cast out demons. Okay, now without going into a big theological excursus about what's our role with casting out demons. Let me just kind of at a high level say this. They went out and loved other people and served the community. Those that weren't, weren't even yet followers or, or believers in Jesus, they went out and served. They went out and, and not only shared good news, but they did, they did, they did good works. And that's the passion, that's the affinity of some of you as you sit here this morning. It's like, hey, this is all good, love a sermon, but let's go out and do something. Let's go out and make a difference. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Let's get out there and show and share the good news. Let's get out there and do good works, and we should. Some of, us, you, some of you, it's not so much about worship, it's not as, as much about good news or about good work, but for many of you, where your affinity lies and where your preferences lies in community. And you're like, yeah, let's love one another. And, and your heartbeat is that the church be one and that you get in a community group and that you, you share life together. And that's the purpose that, that really gets your heartbeat, to love on one another and to be an authentic body of Christ. And let me just say this, all those are good. And all those are the purposes for which Jesus calls us to. But we can't elevate one over the, uh, over the other. They're all three important, Okay. And in fact, they're all a part of what we want to do as a church here. We want to build intimacy with Jesus as individuals as well as a church community. We want to go out and spread the good news. We want to be missionaries, both personally as well as corporately. And we want to build community as a church. One of the primary ways that we accomplish this in these days are through our community groups. So the push of this series and the push of this morning is to get you to consider a community group where you can do life together, but you can also be fueled in your passion and your worship for Jesus and your learning of Jesus. But one of the other things that we want all of our community groups to be about is also a mission. 
to have a partnership, whether it's reaching your neighbors together or where, whether it's serving the homeless together, whether it's helping uh, for a project in Russia with John Bachelman or, or helping in Zimbabwe with Rotina and Gibson, but that as, as a group, as a community, you're not just a holy huddle to yourselves, but you're accomplishing a mission together. You're on mission together. So I want to encourage you this morning strongly, no matter what your affinity is, no matter what your preference, to, to make use and to be a vital part Consider being a vital part of one of our community groups here. After church, we're going to have a group connect. You can go and meet some of those leaders. Learn when those group meets, those groups meet. Because folks, you need it. You need that community to fuel your love. You need that community to fuel your mission. You need, all of us at some point, will need that circle around us to help us walk through life. So I want to encourage you to consider one. And many of you are looking at me with busy faces and busy schedules. Man, I don't have time for one other thing. And I just want to challenge you. How important is it to you? How important? We make time for what's important. And I encourage you, men, beyond our community groups, we have a men's Bible study that will start back up after Labor Day. We're going to begin studying the Sermon on the Mount on Friday mornings. We're looking to try to have another men's group for those that can't make the early time, another men's group that maybe will fit your schedule better. But check out a community group. Check out a men's study. Our women's study, our women are going to be studying Romans in the fall. They'd love to have you join them. But somehow, some way, you have to have community and you have to make it a priority. I don't have time for that. Well, you've got time for 14 other soccer practices and PTA meetings and piano lessons. How important is following Christ? How important is the community of the body to you? We make time for what's important. And folks, this is important. They're like, well, Ross, you know, I hear you. I get it. But a lot of the times I've been in these small groups, they overpromise and they underdeliver. They never deliver on what they promise. And let me comfort you with point two, okay? Your small group, your community group may not end up being your best friends in life. It's okay. Let me just put that on the table. They may not all be as successful as Stephen Heathers has been. They may not, all, may not all click like that. But what I want you to remember, as I said last week, is that the primary metaphor for community in the New Testament is not friendship. The primary metaphor for community in the New Testament is family. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is we don't get to pick our family, do we? We're just kind of stuck with those brothers and sisters. Whether you like them or not, they're your brothers and sisters. And that's the primary metaphor of the church. Your small group, you may not have everything in common with, with them, but they are your brothers and sisters. And, and in a family, whether you, whether you have seasons of really getting along well together or not, or you rub each other the wrong way, they're still brothers and sisters. And guess what? We can learn from brothers and sisters even when we have differences, differences of personality, differences of, pers uh, of backgrounds, different uh, activities that we like, different affinities. We can learn from those different than us. You're going to be surprised as we walk through these next verses how different these disciples were. But I encourage you after church or, or go online uh, if you don't have time today, community groups or centennialchurch.com 
slash groups. Okay, that's the way you find out more about groups here. If you don't have time after church to check one of them out, go online, centennialchurch.com backslash groups, and you'll see when they meet, you'll see the ones that are open. Someone, I don't know who I, uh, who I stole this from, but a long time ago, I heard, I heard someone say this, get close to God, get close to people, and get people close to God. Amen. That's what he's saying here in Mark chapter three, verse 13 through 15. Get close to God, get close to others in the community, and get others close to God. That's what we're about. And it's a diverse community look as we go on here in... Uh, Verses 16 through 19. Uh, I'm just going to read these names. We often fly past this, but look, beginning of verse 16. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, hard to pronounce, that is, sons of thunder. Verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Here we see these 12. The 12 that Jesus called to him then, the 12 that he's going to send out. And oftentimes, unfortunately, I think we tend to glamorize or perhaps sanitize the lives of these 12 guys. Think, oh, those Bible characters, those disciples, those apostles of Jesus, they were super spiritual people. I can't possibly be me. They were, they were uh, uh, an echelon above. They were a cut above. But what you find is if you read the New Testament is for most of their life, they're pretty much a bunch of bumbling fools. And oftentimes, very hard to get along with, even amongst themselves as, as they're walking around with Jesus. Let's take Peter from the top, just as an example. Peter is the guy who's a loudmouth. I mean, he's, al- he's always the first guy to speak up and he's often getting it wrong. He's got, he's got courage, but he's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. This is the guy that doesn't have the self-control when the soldiers come to get Jesus. He, he takes a sword out and swipes the guy's ear off. He's, he has little self-control. He's, he's, he's constantly talking. He's putting self, he's, he's clearly becomes the leader of the 12. But think, if you, if you think about how much Peter talks and here, at one point, he tells uh, Jesus, when Jesus says he's going to go to the cross, Peter says, no way. You're not, you're, that's, that's not the path for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you don't yet get it. This is the Peter we're dealing with. This is, this is the Peter that says, God, if, Jesus, if, if all the rest of them abandon you, I won't. And Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, big, big stuff. By the time the rooster crows three times, you'll abandon me. You'll, you'll, you'll deny me three times. Think about walking around with a guy like Peter for three years. And you think everything's just pristine and sanitized? And all these person, personalities are just a, just a perfectly knit small group together and that they're always just getting along? That's Peter. Skipping James and John for just a second, let me talk to you a little bit of background about Andrew. What do you know about Andrew? Andrew's actually Peter's brother. Did you know that? And it's interesting if you read the first chapter of John, you know, we hear all about Peter and Peter's the one that gets to do the sermons and preaches and has kind of the limelight and stuff like that. But did you know in John chapter one that it's Andrew that first meets Jesus and then goes and gets Peter and brings him to Jesus? Did you know that? Now sit back and think about this for a second. If you're Andrew, how do you feel 
when Peter's pushed forward and kind of becomes the leader of the group and you're Andrew and you're like, hey, I brought you here. Look, bro, I, I got you to this deal and now I'm, I'm just kind of off to the side. You're in the inner circle of, uh, of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and I'm just your little brother or older brother, I can't remember, uh, neglected. What, how, what, what do you think that dynamic was really like? That's Andrew's story, the quiet one. He brings, brings Peter, and then he just kind of fades to the background. We don't hear much else about him. The ones that I really like, that are fun to think about, James and John. You see, they're the second ones mentioned, and it's kind of known that Peter, James, and John are kind of the inner circle of Jesus. Well, what do you know about James and John? We know that they, their dad was rich. They were probably wealthy. They were probably middle class because their dad owned a, a fishing venture. He had the business and they worked for their dad. So they were probably a little bit more wealthy than some of the other disciples. Not only were they wealthy, and you may, you know, look down on them because they're wealthy. uh, But if that doesn't annoy you, here's another thing that might annoy you. Is at one point in their ministry, they get their mother, they get their mommy to come and ask Jesus, Hey, can my sons sit to your right and to your left in the kingdom? You know? Sons of the rich guy, could they sit to your right and the left? And, and Jesus says, that's, that's not mine to give. And why are you asking me, mommy? And James and John, why are you sending your mommies, your mommy, to ask me that question? They're, they're called the sons of, of thunder because uh, at one place, John the Baptist or other people were healing and they said, should we call down lightning on them? Not very peaceable people. And then my favorite example of just the humanness of the New Testament, the humanness of the New Testament. Flip with me. We, I got to show you this. This is so interesting to read about. But John chapter 20, okay? The first 10 verses of John chapter 20. This is written by John, okay? James and John. John is writing the gospel of John. And I want you to see John's pride here, okay? John calls himself, he gives his, himself his own nickname. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves, Now, how'd you like to walk around for three years with a guy named John who's designated himself as the disciple that Jesus loves? Okay. Well, I also want you to to read along in these 10 verses to me and and listen for how proud John is of how fast of a runner he is compared to Peter. This is fascinating. The the humanness here of the scriptures. Read read along with me. Uh, I think this is on the screen. John uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. The the uh, Jesus has been resurrected, picking it up in, in verse 2. Mary Magdalene came to the, the tomb early while it's still dark, and she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Look at verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's John, the one whom Jesus loved. Jesus, John's writing this, okay? And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Just want you to know that. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, Uh, not lying with a linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed, for they did not yet understand. Did you see that? 
Three or four times there, John is telling us as he's writing a gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit to let you know, hey, I'm a lot faster than Peter. Just want you to know, I got there first. You know, Usain Bolt, whatever, the apostle John. I'm fast. I'm coming. These are normal real human beings that, that had personality quirks and got on each other's nerves and, and annoyed one another. They're human. And they're 12 following Jesus together, bumbling and stumbling, but becoming a, a community of different people together. One last one, and then I gotta move on. You see in this list a guy named Matthew and a guy named Simon the Zealot. Folks, here's what you need to know about this. These two guys were at the political opposites of the spectrum. You've got, you've got a guy that is called Simon the Zealot, which means he's strongly conservative and wants to get rid of all the foreigners out of the country. Okay, get, overthrow all the Romans. Get out of here, Simon the Zealot. And then he's walking around for three years with a guy whose name is first Levi, gets changed to Matthew because he's a tax collector. And tax collectors worked for the Romans. So you got tax collector on the far left and Simon the Zealot on the far right at complete opposite ends of the political spectrum, liberal and conservative. And yet they're centered on, they be follow Jesus. They put their politics aside, perhaps. Perhaps they argue. But they're following Jesus together. And let me just mention this. Why in the world would Jesus ever choose Judas Iscariot? Uh, he had to know he was going to desert him. He had to know he was going to betray him. I wonder if there was something about that experience of Judas the traitor being amongst the 12 that the other, the other 11 needed to experience. And so not only are they walking around wild personalities and wildly different backgrounds, but they also have this guy that's eventually going to sell Jesus off and betray him. How diverse is your community group? compared to that. Yeah, these people, I tried one of those small groups, but I just didn't connect with anybody. Just not my personality, just didn't really click. Yeah, <laughs> think about the 12. And for some reason, God has brought us together as a community with differences that our differences might make one another better as brothers and sisters. So I hope as a church, and I hope as a, personally, that you would embrace a community group that isn't necessarily just like you. And there's, there, there's, a, there's a part of me that reacts even to, uh, to the, the times that, that all the young families want to be together without the older folks. Because guess what? Those of us in our 30s and 40s, we need some folks in their 60s to slap us alongside the head every once in a while and say, you guys, you're all screwed up. Just like I screwed up. And it, and, it, and it concerns me sometimes that all the 60-year-olds want to go off and have a community group by themselves and, 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 and just retire to the retirement complex. But we need your wisdom because you've been down the road longer than we have. And one of the beauties of the body of Christ is not only our unity, but our diversity and our varied backgrounds. These 12 were very different. They weren't just automatic friends. I don't think that. There were some brothers there, Andrew and Peter, they, James and John but there was a lot of diversity. One of the things in our student ministry and in our children's ministry really are trying to enhance and try to make a value is intergenerational ministry. I mean, it, it delights us. Our, our hearts just glow 
when a 50-year-old or an empty nester wants to teach our kids' classes. Because we want our kids to see all ages. As I said earlier, when we bring our kids in here to worship, I want them to be around not just a bunch of 30-somethings, but some 50-somethings and some 60-somethings. And how about some 70-somethings? We need to work on that. Because there's something beautiful about intergenerational. There's something beautiful. Even though these guys are 12 men, Jewish men, there's still some diversity in there. Men, women, red, yellow, black, and white, the body of Christ involves all brothers and sisters of all different backgrounds, of all different skin types, centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 He has made us a community. It's only fitting for us to end this morning at the table, the table of fellowship that Christ has made available to us. And this is a preview of the table that the Bible says in Revelation is going to be spread for us. At, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb, where all brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation come together to celebrate Jesus. I've been a part of a lot of different communities in my life. I was born an American, and I'm an American because I was born here and I pay my taxes. I uh, am a graduate of Oklahoma State University and Dallas Seminary. I'm a member of those communities. Why? Because I paid for it. I did the work. I got out of there with a decent enough grade for them to confer a a degree upon me. I've also been a part of a a fraternity, a, a community. What did I have to do to be part of that fraternity? I had to, you know... I got in there because I was a legacy. I had a connection through my brother. I had enough resume to help me get in that resume, but I had to pay my dues. I had to pay my tuition for college, for seminary. And in none of those communities, as an American citizen, as a graduate of OSU, in none of those communities, has the president of the United States or the president of those colleges invited me to his table for fellowship and paid my tuition. It's only in the community of the church that Jesus himself has said, you don't come on your own merit. You don't come on your own tuition. I've actually paid the price for you. I've shed my blood to make you sons and daughters. Not just my servants, but sons and daughters. I've paid the price. I've shed my blood so that all people of all tongues, tribes, and nations could fellowship with me at the wedding feast of the table in the world to come. And this, this morning, is a picture of what is to come when we sit down for that final banquet, all because of the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me? I want to invite our servers to go ahead and come forward and take the elements. And after I pray, you can come forward and uh, come to the station closest to you. You'll take the bread and dip it in the cup and then return to your seats. The only requirement to participate this morning is that you know Jesus, that you're a son or a daughter of God, that you have trusted in the payment of Jesus to bring you to the table. Father God, we thank you 
that though our communities are divided, though our world is divided, that you have called all different people of all different backgrounds, of all different skin color, all different sins to come to your table through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we come, we remember the blood of Jesus given to forgive us, given to create one new community. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Come and celebrate.